As we begin, let me pray and ask God for his help as we read his word and study it together. Father, thank you that when we open up your word, you speak to us and you change us and shape us to be more like Jesus. And so we ask in his name this evening that as we study the words of Psalm 122, you would help us to love you and to obey you. Amen. It was a snowy January in the year 2013. So snowy that I was becoming increasingly pessimistic about my planned train journey home to Edinburgh from a little town that I was visiting in the north of Wales. It had been snowing non-stop overnight and as more and more of the landscape around about us disappeared under the snow, we just started to wonder how safe it was going to be for us to travel home. Those of us who had traveled by car set off on departure day as early as they could to give themselves as much time and as big a fighting chance as they could possibly have. But I had already bought a train ticket home, silly me, and so a taxi driver dropped me off at a nearby station. And if I'm being honest with you, the first leg of the journey home was fine, if slowed by weather conditions. But when I arrived at the first connection point where I had to switch trains, all I could see around me was sheer pandemonium. The train departure board was saturated by cancellations and delays. Men and women were on phones, shaking snow off umbrellas and clothing, trying to explain their circumstances to bosses, colleagues, friends, family, loved ones. There was a long, confused queue at the customer service desk as people were trying desperately to work out how they were going to complete their journey safely. And I remember eventually being permitted to take what I'm going to call a lengthy, circuitous route home via places that I had never been before, nor did I know existed. And then hours later, rolling into Glasgow, sweet, sweet Glasgow, before eventually finally getting the last train of my journey through to Edinburgh. And what should have been a four and a half hour train journey ended up being just over 14 hours of cold, wet, and tired. And I remember getting into my flat, collapsing, probably face first on the sofa, and reading messages from the group of friends that I had, who I was with at the time, which read, we made it. We're home. And over the past few months at Chalmers, you might remember us dipping into Psalms 120 and 121. If you've been tuning in then, Johnny looked at those Psalms with us. These are songs sung by God's people 3,000 years ago on their journey to Jerusalem. The different tribes of God's people would travel there from their homes, from their lands, a few times a year for festivals, celebrations. But we read in these Psalms that those journeys they made to Jerusalem were often dangerous, arduous. As we looked at Psalm 120 together, we saw God's people threatened by deceit, opposition. They feel alienated on their journey. But God promises to deliver his people and to judge 
their enemies. And as we looked at Psalm 121 together, we saw that God relentlessly guards his people from their enemies. He will not stop protecting them until their journey is complete. And our psalm this evening completes the triplet. In Psalm 122, the precarious journey for God's people is completed, done. They finally arrive in Jerusalem, bursting with relief and joy, turn to one another and say, we made it. We're home. We'll look at the psalm under three headings. If you're watching via YouTube, uh, you can click on the link, I think directly below me, and find a service sheet somewhere on a Google Drive folder. Good luck. You'll find the headings on that service sheet if you do want to follow along this evening. That might be a helpful thing to do. And the first heading, as we look at this psalm together, uh, verses one and two, God's people praise the Lord as they arrive at God's place. God's people praise the Lord as they arrive at God's place. We see in verse one that David, the earthly king of God's people, has for whatever reason been away from Jerusalem. We're not told explicitly why, perhaps on a military or diplomatic excursion, but those whom he is with say to him, let us go to the house of the Lord. And these words are literally music to King David's ears. He says again in verse one, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. This psalm is a song of joy. And it's really important for us that we see that right from the start. It'll help us as we understand the tone, the mood of the words of the king. David writes this entire psalm with a smile broadly across his face. And in verse two, when they arrive in Jerusalem, it's as if David turns to those around him and turns to us reading tonight and says, can you believe where I'm standing? He says, our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. See, David's gladness is to finally go back to the city of God's people, synonymous with God's protection and care. And King David might be the lead singer, but this is not a solo. The language used throughout the psalm is plural, us, our feet. All of God's people are to sing along with the king. David's joy is shared by generations of God's people as they sing this song of gladness and praise time and time again, every single year as they journey to Jerusalem. And it sounds all the sweeter as track number three. After the first two songs on the journey home have been cries for rescue, cries for safety, God pulls through. It's an important lesson for God's people throughout the generations. God promises to steer his people to safety. And Psalm 122 leaves us in no doubt that he is powerful enough to make it happen. The other nations around them looked strong. Their threats sounded serious. 
And so King David's gladness, the gladness of God's people throughout the ages who have sung this psalm, that gladness comes from the heart of someone who has arrived in Jerusalem, having been delivered from the lies, the hostility, and the war that has threatened them on the journey. God's people praise the Lord for his relentless protection, his unchanging goodness, for his salvation, for his rescue as they arrive in God's place. That's the first thing for us to spot this evening. Secondly, God's people proclaim the unity and the justice of God's place. Verses three to five. God's people proclaim the unity and the justice of God's place. So one long-standing habit of mine is spending far too long online watching interviews with musicians as they explain the reasons, explain the inspiration behind writing the songs and the albums that they write. And if any one of us were sitting interviewing King David for a radio show or for a television show, and we said to him, David, we can see in this psalm that you're clearly a fan of the city of Jerusalem. Just talk us through why you're such a big fan of the city. King David would give us a very clear answer. Without hesitation, he would look at us and say, well, that's easy. God's people are united to one another under God's justice. Look with me at verse 3. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together. The tribes of the Lord go up, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. God's people are bound firmly together, united in thankfulness to the Lord. There is no hint of any bickering, no infighting, no racial tensions, no frustrations felt towards neighbors, just sheer joy at being around God's people in God's place. And King David shows us in verse five the cement holding the unity of God's people together. Verse five should actually start with a because. Read that with me. Because there in Jerusalem, thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Right at the heart of the community, this community of God's people, tribes gathering from across the lands to give thanks to the Lord for all that he has done. The power that brings them together in unity and the power that keeps them together in unity is the judgment seat of the good king. The reason why it was such a safe, wonderful place, the reason why King David is so glad to be there is because justice was maintained, upheld by the righteous judgment of the Lord and his commands. And King David sees God's people perfectly united to one another under a perfect God administering perfect justice. See, David knows the joy and the gladness of a city and a people where true justice was provided by a true leader to truly bring a nation together. 
And that is something that we would all desperately, desperately want for our own country, isn't it? We do have an innate desire for perfect, incorruptible justice in our country. No racism, no double standards from politicians or from the media. It's something for which we would all yearn. And yet at the same time, it seems so hopelessly far away from us. Nothing we try seems to work. And King David would say, it's only to be found as those who trust in the Lord gather from across the world to listen to him, to listen to his judgment, to listen to his laws, to listen to his commandments and to bow the knee. Peace within our communities, peace from our enemies, a people united to one another in praise to a good God, a righteous king and his perfect rule. Doesn't it sound excellent? It's the ending we would all want. And I think if we're starting to lean in to find out more about this place, about this Jerusalem, if we're starting to kind of dare to imagine that this place could possibly exist, then Psalm 122 is doing its job on our hearts. God's people proclaim the unity and justice of God's place. And in our third heading of three this evening, God's people pray for the peace of God's place. Verses six to nine, God's people pray for the peace of God's place. We've seen throughout our time in these Psalms that God's people face real external conflict. That's been made very, very obvious and clear. The verbal, physical threats of the other nations. But what we understand in these last three verses is that God's people also face the threat of internal conflict. It's a strange tension within the Psalm. King David praises the Lord for unity, praises the Lord for justice within Jerusalem in verses three to five, and then implores God's people to pray that it stays that way. So read with me verse six. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Verse seven, peace be within your walls, security within your towers. The sad reality is that throughout the history between God and his people, Jerusalem, God's people, fell rather short of the standards that God had set. Jerusalem didn't always look like verses three to five. Real problems, real danger came from within the city, from within the sinful hearts of his people. The tribes weren't always united to one another. They often shunned the joy and the peace of the unity and justice of the Lord for other things, other idols. And it always led to disastrous consequences. And King David says, don't allow anything that might threaten the peace and security of the city to creep into the community of God's people. Instead, pray for the peace, the prosperity of Jerusalem. May every relationship within Jerusalem, between God's people, 
May every relationship know the wonderful peace that comes under the unity of God's command. Read with me verse 8. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. See, Psalm 122 praises God, proclaims his peace, proclaims his unity and his justice. But it's also a prayer that the city will live up to the name of the Lord. It's a communal prayer to God, acknowledging that God's people cannot do this on their own strength. That God's people will need God desperately if they are to live in harmony with one another according to his laws. It's a prayer acknowledging that really we should live by his ideals. He is God, we are not. It's a prayer acknowledging that we so often fall short and God's people need God to intervene, to keep us united under his rule. For the sake of his name, as the world watches on, and for the sake of our brothers and companions as they too try and follow his laws. Now imagine with me thousands of men, women, children, all of God's people arriving in Jerusalem, all singing the words of Psalm 122 together. This psalm will serve as a huge line of defense against disunity, against threats from outside Jerusalem and threats from within the lives of God's people. Singing these words is a prayer to the Lord and a reminder to ourselves of who we are as his people, truly united under his laws and truly needing his help. It's a cry to God to maintain, to keep the unity that we enjoy under his laws. And it's a cry to one another to work towards that unity, not in our own strengths, but in his, for the sake of his name, for the sake of his people. So those are the three things for us to see in Psalm 122. God's people praise the Lord as they arrive in Jerusalem. God's people proclaim the unity and the justice of God's place. And God's people pray for the peace of God's place. And as I draw to a close, the question on my lips and possibly on yours is how do these words affect us in the midst of lockdown 3,000 years after they were written? Well, fast forward 1,000 years from this psalm being written and you'll see another king, a greater king of God's people walking into Jerusalem you see Jesus with his followers. But rather than the justice and the authority of the king being welcomed and accepted, the justice and the authority of the king, his throne of judgment is rejected. We saw some of that this morning in Mark chapter 11. See, King David's understanding of Psalm 122 is a far, far cry from the reality that faced Jesus when he entered Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Those in charge did not bend the knee to the rightful king. There was no unity amongst God's people. They did not bend the knee to the rightful rule 
of God's laws. Their response was not one of thankfulness to the Lord, but one of utter hatred. And as a result, the king is nailed to a cross. But then wonderfully, just as he said would happen, Jesus is raised from the dead. And he promises that one day he will return. He promises an eternal end to the lies, the hostility, and the war that threaten God's people today. He promises an eternal new Jerusalem, just like Roger mentioned earlier, where there is no more death, no more dying, no more sin, no more suffering, where the tribes of the world will gather to praise the Lord in thankfulness for who he is and what he has done. In fact, King David's description of Jerusalem here in Psalm 122 sounds very, very similar to greater King Jesus' description of what will happen when he comes back one day. Except the new Jerusalem that he promises will be even better than the Jerusalem that David knew in Psalm 122. We should think of the new creation, the new Jerusalem that Jesus promised, as everything that Psalm 122 dreamed of. And our guaranteed eternity for God's people is arrival in the new Jerusalem, gathered under the King, under Jesus, with our feet standing in the gates. Our guaranteed eternity as God's people is to be united to one another for eternity, full of praise, full of thankfulness, under the righteous judgment of our good King Jesus, sat on his throne. It hasn't happened yet. It definitely will happen in the future. He promises he will return. Jesus, our King, blazed the trail there to the new creation through his death, through his resurrection. And if we are in him, if we are united to him, then that is our reality too. We will be called home to be with our King Jesus in this wonderful reality. We will look around us with gladness and thankfulness and say, we made it, we're home. So two quick things as I finish. First, please, whatever you do, if you are a Christian, if you follow Jesus, do not look at this world as your home. There are so many wonderful things to enjoy on the journey. There are so many wonderful things to enjoy this side of eternity. But there is so much more that we experience that I hope makes us yearn for the reality of Psalm 122 and the new Jerusalem that Jesus promises. Chalmers, do not unpack your bags. Do not put your roots down in this world. You'll know your heart as I know mine. You'll know the external threats and the internal threats in your own hearts that would stop you from having your eyes fixed on the new Jerusalem. And so as you journey there, 
Do not allow the things of this world to threaten the unity, to threaten the peace that you will enjoy eternally with the Lord in the new Jerusalem. Fight the sin in your life today that you will leave behind when you are there. Do whatever you can on the way as you journey to extend your hands out to others and say, you'll never guess where I'm spending eternity. I would love you to come with me. Second, and with this I close, not all of this is to be experienced in the future. One of the letters in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, says this to God's people in chapter 12. The writer of Hebrews says, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. That is your reality. So live it out now. If you can remember far back enough in your head to remember the times pre-lockdown that you spent in Ikea, you'll remember walking around the store and seeing showrooms, very clear examples of what the reality of the room was going to look like when fully installed. You can see clearly from the showroom what the eventual reality will be. And the letter to the Hebrews says that the new Jerusalem, that's our eternity. It says your citizenship is secure in that new Jerusalem. It's as if you're already there. That's where you belong. That's where you're heading. So start living that way now. Our churches are to be showrooms of what the new creation is going to look like. So let's understand that Chalmers is to be a place today where we praise the Lord for what he has done. That Chalmers is to be a place today where God's people are united to one another from across every tribe and nation. That Chalmers is to be a place today where we bow the knee in thankfulness to God's justice and his commands. Chalmers is to be a place today where we pray for and seek the peace of the Lord just as Psalm 122 would have us do. We will arrive in the new Jerusalem. We will turn to one another as God's people. We will say, we made it. We're home. Not because we were good, but because God was faithful. We will live the reality of Psalm 122 forever. So let's start living it now. Let me pray for us as we close. Mine are days here as a stranger, pilgrim on a narrow way. One with Christ I will encounter, harm, hatred for his name. But mine is armor for this battle, strong enough to last the war. And he has said he will deliver safely to the golden shore. Father, thank you that you are good to your people. Thank you that you promise us a new Jerusalem 
full of all that we see in Psalm 122 that really whets our appetites, except even better. Father, we're sorry for the times when we are not united to one another in thankfulness under your commands. Help us to reach out to one another in love. Help us to love you as we listen to your words and obey. And we pray, Father, that you would make Chammers and every single other church that knows you and loves you in this country and across the world showrooms, outposts for what the new creation will look like so that those who don't yet know you might look in and see something of how good you are with their own eyes. In Christ's name we pray and ask. Amen.